Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me today is Danny DeKroger. Go check him out on Twitter because he is putting out some incredible threads, really um, criminally underfollowed account uh, because of the goodness he's putting out. It's just such easy to understand bite-sized threads of some of the most difficult aspects of um, Bitcoin or um, global economics. Uh, it, it's really, it's great stuff. Um, I wanted to bring him on because of the threads that he's been putting out there and to talk about um, some of these things. So we get, um, we, we, we cross off a few topics here, which uh, I think um, might go a long way into helping people uh, understand more. It certainly helped me out. So big thanks to Danny. Um, very cool that um, Samuel got to answer, uh, ask the first few questions on this one as Danny comes from a professional sports background, which uh, we get into. So it's a cool episode. Really appreciate Danny coming on and um, spending the time with us and um, you know, getting into these topics. So make sure you, um, before we get on to this, make sure you head over to uh, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten to start stacking sats if you are based in the UK or have access to the UK banking system. Let's get into this one, guys. Hope you enjoy it. Make sure you um, go hit up Danny and uh, start following him on Twitter. Take care and thanks as always for listening. Hey, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining us today is Danny D. Kroger and uh, from Cash Up. So we've got uh, lots of stuff to talk about. But um, Samuel is here today to talk about, um, well, to ask the first question because uh, Lauren's not around. But uh, first of all, Danny, thanks so much for getting back and for taking the time. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. So when I was talking to Samuel about um, him being the understudy for today's uh, podcast. I said, uh, it's probably a good guy to come and speak to because um, Danny used to play professional sports, and uh, namely baseball, but I think you may have dabbled in NFL as well, or was that at college level? No, no, I wish. No? Uh, just uh, <laughs> baseball, yeah. Baseball. I played high, so, high school football, but um, no further than that for football. Okay. So Samuel is, um, well, he's only nine, but he's uh, pretty keen on, um, well, we call it football, you guys call it soccer. But uh, I think he has a bit of an interest uh, in, well, do, do you want to ask Danny? What is it like to be in a, pres- in a professional game? Great question. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's really fun when you have a lot of fans. Um, everything gets um amplified so when something exciting happens it's even more exciting because of all the cheering um when something bad happens you can you know if you make a mistake everyone sees it as well um it's really fun there's there's nothing nothing like playing sports in front of a lot of people and uh, i had a great time doing that for a bunch of years so 
but the game the game itself is the same that's one thing that doesn't change is that the crowd um can be really loud and the lights can be really bright but when you get on the field it's you against the other guys and uh the game's the same as as growing up that's a good point actually because what's going on in professional sports probably around the world but certainly in the uk right now um they're playing you know they're trying to finish the premiership uh, and they're playing the the live games um in empty stadiums um and i think they televised the first couple of games without any kind of um, canned crowd noise sort of thing. Um, and people just found it so boring to watch. Uh, so, you know, how does that affect your performance, would you say? If you're just out there, if you were to go out there now as a professional player and you try and finish the baseball league and you go out and it's a huge game, what would be billed as a huge game if there were fans there, how much... You know, like the thirteenth man or twelfth man, as we call it in um, in the UK. Yeah, it's a it's a big uh, definitely the the home field advantage is a big um, big help because you you feel like you have like that like you said that thirteenth man. Um, I think it depends on the person. Some people, when there's a lot of energy and a lot of pressure, they tend to do better. And some people, uh, I think, especially at least what I noticed playing baseball is that it's easier to get energized for the game when the crowd has a lot of energy. And so I was in, uh, throughout the baseball system, some of your teams don't really get any fans, but some of them get a lot. And if you're playing every day, um, for a team with no fans, it's hard to get up the next day and the next day and the next day and drag yourself out to the field and play. But when you drag yourself out to the field and there's 5,000 people there, um, or more all cheering for you, then it's really easy to get excited. So, um, yeah, I think the whole fake crowd noise is pretty interesting with, I know American, uh, baseball is doing that as well as they start, start up right, uh, right now. But yeah. I, I find it pretty weird that they like put some negative crowd noise in there sometimes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like you have the choice like, you could just be, plowing positive vibes through the television the whole time. But if they see a bad tackle come in or like, no, well, perhaps that should need a boo or something. But, you know, some kind of like, I don't know, like marginal behavior starts getting booed. I'm like, don't do that, guys. Like, you know, you don't, that's, yeah, not, so that's not in the spirit. Someone's just having fun up in the, up in the booth with their, their buttons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, mate, do you have any more questions about uh, like sports and stuff? Yeah. Now you got it. Yeah, go for it. How many fans like you? <laughs> How many what? How many fans like you? Ooh, not not that many anymore. But let's see. Every once in a while, I'll still get someone with a baseball card that they want me to autograph. Um, but. I wasn't. I didn't get to the super highest level, so I didn't. I didn't really get that many fans, um, and it's less less now that I'm retired. But uh, when I when I was playing, I'd get a lot of like people with baseball cards, and they weren't really fans of me, but they're they're fans of a lot of the baseball players. So they'll send out cards to a hundred or two hundred different players and try to get us all to sign them. Um, but yeah, there's a few, a few fans here and there, like from my hometown. What was the weirdest experience for you being in like a <laughs> professional, like kind of sports arena? 
there's a couple of things. So, so one of the, one of the funny things about autographs is, so every year we, we go to spring training, um, which is the entire, uh, your whole professional organization. So for me, it was the St. Louis Cardinals, all the players from all the levels come together and we're all preparing for the season, um, on these, uh, the fields playing games every day, but there's no fans there. There's just, but there's some like these autograph hounds. They're trying to get all the young players autographs before they become big, but they don't recognize you. They just want your autographs. And so they don't know who you are, but your name is on the back of your Jersey. So you'll be walking to the ballpark and they'll be looking at you, but they don't know who you are. But then as soon as they, you, you get past them and they see the back of your Jersey, they're like, Oh Danny, oh come, come here. Like, like, let me get your autograph. <laughs> And so it's just funny that they don't really know you, but they will, uh, they're trying to like an investment, almost trying to collect autographs of young players, hoping that they make it big and the, the autographs worth something. So that's pretty funny. Now you seem pretty young to me to be retired in air quotes. Well, I, I was, I wasn't retired by my choice. So I was, I was released. I was cut. Um, so any, if I was good enough, I'd still be playing, but, I didn't quite perform well enough to stick around. So I'm 28 years old now. Man, was was that tough? Because like, you know, you, you've clearly put a lot of time and energy into it and it was clearly your shtick to, you know, pun intended, I suppose. Um, when you get that far into something and that close, do you feel, I mean, how do you feel? What, like, like, what, what's the journey? What would you say to people like coming behind you? I don't know. We will get to Bitcoin listeners, but, you know, what would you say to, to young people like Samuel that, you know, have these big starry-eyed dreams of becoming a professional football player or baseball player or, you know, whatever it might be? So, yeah, I would say that um, it's, it's really cool to go for it. And, but I would just, to me, it's, it's like kind of like climbing a mountain, right? Where it's cool to be at the top and to get to the top. But really the reason you climb the mountain is because of the journey. And so looking back, um, it was all, all the, the hours of practicing all the games, uh, all the coming through all the different levels, all the days with all my teammates. That's all the stuff that I remember and all the lessons I learned are from the journey. And so it's awesome to try to shoot for something and, you should try to shoot for something, even if you don't think it's possible, because if you put in, if you put in a lot of work, you, you could really surprise yourself. And I definitely surprised myself with how far I was able to get. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think going for something is worth it. Even if you don't quite make it as high as, as high, like make it to the top. Cool, man. Well, do you have any more uh, questions for, for Danny? How many points? Have you been scoring? How many points have oh. I scored? Like in baseball? Yeah. yeah. So baseball, like, so you can like score runs, but that's sometimes not because it's because someone else hit the ball well. Um, but it may be like home runs. Uh, I had a few home runs in my day. I think there's one, one of them's on the internet where you can see it. Uh, but I wasn't, a, I wasn't a big home run hitter, but I hit, let's see, I probably hit like, maybe 10, 10 or so in my career. So not that many over a couple of years, but hit a few. <laughs> do, you, do you know what a home run is? Yeah, to get back to your base. Like like you go all around and then back where you started. 
true. So is that yeah, correct, Danny? Kind of. So home run is when you hit the ball over the fence, and then you get to go all, around all four bases, and then you score for free because you hit it over the fence. So does it not count as a home run if, like, it stays in the field of play and the fielders just fluff up the uh, and you get around? Is that still a home run? That that counts too, um, but that's a lot more rare. Usually, you have to hit it over the fence to to get one. Yeah. Do you think you could hit it over the fence, mate? <laughs> Someday. Do you know how fast the ball is coming at these guys? Very fast. Well, ask Danny. What do you think? Is it very fast? <laughs> it's it's really fast. It's it's really a blur. It's pretty. I don't. know. It's pretty crazy how how people hit it. But yeah, ninety ninety to hundred miles an hour. But you practice a lot. You can kind of guess where the ball is going to be. And sometimes get lucky. All right, come on. Favorite baseball related film. What is it? Favorite film? Oh, I gotta say Sandlot. I don't know that one. What is it? Sorry. Oh, Sandlot. It's a good one. It's an old one. Uh, it's about these kids growing up playing baseball. Yeah, it's a good one. I'm sure many people are thinking, oh, yeah, it's got to be Moneyball. But for me, it's Wild Things. Well, no, Wild Thing. Uh, oh, no, wild hang on. What was that called? It was Charlie Sheen. What was that movie? It was, right? I think so. Yeah. No, I know it was Major uh, League. It was Major, Major League. League. Yeah. But his nickname, Charlie Sheen's nickname was Wild Thing. Oh, and they, right. That right. would be whenever he came on to bat, they would play the music. Wild Thing. Yeah, I remember yeah. that movie growing up when I was a, a kid. We'll have to watch that, mate. You'd like that. And I've got one more question. Go for it. All right. One How more. embarrassing was it? How embarrassing, How embarrassing was it? Oh. Oh, like playing in games, like when you messed up? Yeah. So my first professional game, what well, my second professional game, I made four errors in the game, which is a lot. So it's like they hit they hit the ball to you and you mess it up, and it was pretty embarrassing. But the next the next game I hit a home run and I ended up having a good year. So that's part of baseball, though. You have to deal with a lot of you can never get down. You always have to anytime you you fail, you have to get back up and keep trying. And the thing is, Samuel, there's guys in the in the uh, in the crowd that are taking notes on absolutely everything you do. They're called statisticians, and so they would know. Well, give us an example, Danny, of the, the kind of things that you were measured on by, um, but whether it's yeah. scouts or just fans or the coaches or the analysts. Yeah, especially baseball. Everything you do is recorded. So every time you you hit. Like you have your batting average, which is how how often you get a hit versus you get out, um, or you have your uh, fielding percentage. So how how often do you successfully make the play on defense versus make an error? Um, and you just they have every single number. So your entire performance can be, and it's up on the scoreboard too. So anytime you walk up to to the bat, everyone can see how your year's going, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting, which is a lot different now than in companies or in life where there's not really the same scoreboard or scorecard. So it's hard to uh, thought that was interesting moving into working at companies where there's not the same way to evaluate performance. It's hard to know like how are you doing, other than how you think you're doing. Ah, interesting. Maybe we'll get into that. Yeah, but I want to make sure Samuel's exhausted his questions. Yeah, I'm finished. You are. Yeah. Okay, mate. Well, you know what to do now. Well, first okay. of all, say, say thanks to Danny and uh, good night. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Samuel. It was nice to meet you. Yeah.
Yep, and it was nice to meet you too. Bye. Good luck with good luck in your sports. Yep, on you. And keep stacking sets, Samuel. Stack sets and stack knowledge. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right, let's just stay here for a little while then, because that's interesting what you said about making the transition from, you know, being under the, you know, being scrutinized for like pretty much every step you took. And from, from what age is this? What, what age were you considered on the periphery of professional sports and like, you know, at um, a certain age, you must know. You must know, right, okay, this is a real thing now. This is going to happen. What age yeah. was that? So I think I was probably in high school. I mean, I had been a serious baseball player my whole life, um, played a lot of sports. But then in high school, um, so like age 15 to 18, you start to think, okay, maybe I can play in college. My Like my older brother had went and the colleges were interested in him. And I was like, oh, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. And then you start looking at your statistics versus some of the college players, like what their statistics were in high school. And so I tried to figure out, oh, oh maybe I can do this. And then um, that's where your kind of statistics start mattering. And then you get into college and then uh, same sort of thing where first you got to make the first you got to play, like get off the bench in college. And once you're off the bench, you got to perform well and stay on the field. And then if you do well, then you're like, okay, maybe I can go pro. And then uh, just kind of step by step. It's kind of how it went for me, I guess. So then you're, you're in that arena and absolutely everything's getting tracked. And you know exactly where you are, as you were saying. To then come into, I mean, I, I guess at Cash App, I mean, is there an ivory tower or are you, you completely remote? What, how, what's the setup? So actually, uh, well, right now, yeah, with Cash App right now, I'm uh, – I'm remote because of the virus. So we're all, uh, when Sam, my, the day I started at cash app was the day San Francisco issued the lockdown order. And so, no way. Had, yeah. So I had one day to get my, all my uh, equipment and stuff in the office, but then the rest of it's been remote. Um, and this was actually, this is, this is the second job I've had since baseball. And the first one was a year and a half at BitGo, which was also a great experience. Um, but yeah, can you tell us about BitGo? Like, um, so sorry, I, I I hurdled BitGo. So you, you leave the base, the baseball scene and you go straight into BitGo, and I, I'm assuming that's like a, a an office job. It's not a remote yeah. job at this point, right? Okay. So I actually had so I actually had about a year um, in between that, and this kind of gets back to your question about like what do you do after baseball ends? Because that was a tough time for me trying to figure out what to do because I was. So this was 2017. So summer, this is like August of 2017. <laughs> and so maybe we could we go back to then because that was a fun time in the Bitcoin world. And so yes. I was like over the summer. And so I was already, I had known about Bitcoin a little bit and I was getting into it sort of like earlier in 2017. And so this summer I was starting to tell all my baseball teammates like on the bus in the locker room. I was like, hey, you guys, you know, check out Bitcoin. And the price started going up and everyone got more interested. And now we had like my coaches were asking me about Bitcoin. <laughs> and uh, and meanwhile, I wasn't performing very well. I kind of knew that my like I might be getting released soon. And so I got cut um, in August and then I was back home, kind of not sure what to do. And then Bitcoin started taking off. And that's where I s started to kind of get interested. Um, uh, 
And I, I'd finished up some school that I had started. And so I was like finishing a degree. Um, but yeah, then I was trying to figure out kind of what's next. Um, and that's where I really dug into learning Bitcoin programming because I had studied computer programming in school. And then I had this interest in like Bitcoin as a, as a way to like an investor and sort of the ethos of like decentralized money. And then that's sort of where I taught myself um, Bitcoin programming and then ultimately was able to get a job from learning that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, that was a lot. Lots, lots, lots of, no, 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 but that, that's cool. And it gives me a lot of points to hang on to. I wanted to ask you first of all about, uh, you said you weren't performing that well. Um, looking back now with 2020 Vision, what do you credit that to? What do you think was kind of going on? Yeah, it's a good. So I think I, I kind of, I mean, looking back, I think I kind of maxed out to where I had reached, you know, I'd done pretty well at the low level. I went to the next level, did okay, like pretty well enough to go to the next level. And I climbed up like three or four of these levels in the professional system. And it got to the point where the competition is just a lot better. And I just, I frankly just wasn't as good as some of these other people. And I look back to like, maybe there's things I could have done better. Like maybe I could have uh, spent more time working out to be stronger. Um, that maybe have been one thing or worked on my athleticism more so I could be better at defense. Um, and I mean, there could have been things that I screwed up, but ultimately there, there'd been a stretch of about a year where I was playing at the high level, but I wasn't performing well enough to keep going. So, is it what what fascinates me about like professional sports? When you get to that level, it, it's not so much about like natural talent or anything like that. It, it's just that marginal gain, right? That that just if you can throw the ball one or two miles an hour faster, or if you can hit it another yard, and that might come down to like an extra hour a day of core strength training or something. It, it's just do you think yeah. that's the difference? Uh, sorry for picking your brain and resting on this too long, but it's not something I've ever been exposed to, but something I've had like heavy interest in. Like, what makes that? Because it's still a huge chasm to cross, right? To to get to that next ultimate level. Yeah, I wish I knew. Um, I definitely think there there's some little things like like maybe if I had worked out more, then all the times I hit it almost to the fence, that those would be home runs. And maybe that would have changed everything. Or if I had like kept my, so when you're, when you're batting, if your head is not like still, then your eyes are moving, which means the ball, it's harder to see the ball. And I think sometimes I forgot about that. So my head, maybe if my head was moving like two inches instead of like a millimeter, maybe that was a huge difference. Um, but yeah, I, I think ultimately some, some people are just more talented and, uh, whether that's because they've been playing since they were younger, they have more hours, or they have better vision or better strength. Um, I think a lot of the superstars, they really, from a young age, have put in all the hours and are some of them are just far and away better players. Um, but then you have the marginal guys that um, outwork people or they do the little things that get them to make it. And some people really, I've seen a lot of people do that as well, that Comparing myself to them, I didn't think they were more talented, but they somehow made it to higher levels um, for whatever reason, but they outworked me in some way or were better at some marginal thing. Do you think, you, you know, at, 
in whatever whatever we're doing, whether it's in a professional um, sense as well, um, should we work more on the things we're not so good at or work harder and leverage the things we're just naturally built to do? That's a good question. I Probably a little bit of both. I think, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I think probably a little bit of both. All right, cool. Well, let's close out baseball. Yeah. Oh no, that's <laughs> not. How many? How many? How many baseball players have you red pilled, and are you still trying to shill and red pill some like major leaguers right now? Is there anyone out there we just haven't figured out is uh, a bitcoiner yet? There are a lot of bitcoiners that don't really talk about it in professional sports. Um, I don't really try to red pill people, but a lot of them come and still ask me questions um i can think of a few that i talk with pretty frequently um that are their full bitcoiners like they're they're stacking stats just like us um but yeah i think you'll see more and more and we've seen some athletes come out and be outspoken about it i think some nfl players um and there's definitely some baseball players and i think it's something that you'll you'll keep seeing do you think that changes your game? Do you think that changes? I mean, we know Bitcoin changes us fundamentally, right? Like, um, it, it, it once you're down the rabbit hole, something shifts in your mindset, something <laughs> shifts in your, uh, you know, your, your outlook in life. Certainly, the way you spend your time, um, the way you stop spending your money, and <laughs> yeah, you know that. I would think I know personally. Like one of one of the guys uh, I've been talking to is he. He's in the major leagues and they, they get all this cash every day for meal money, but it's like hundreds of dollars of cash. And a lot of these guys will, you know, play poker with it or they'll go spend it at the bar. But he's like doing the math we're talking through and he's like, yeah, I could get, you know, like a Bitcoin every couple of weeks just with this cash from the meal money. So now I can start saving this and doing that. And you can see the gears start to turn and the time preference lowering and so just like all of us where we, we start, you know, not going out to eat so we can stack more sats, these guys are making that same calculation. So it's pretty interesting, yeah, how you can see the behavior, the, the time preference uh, affects everybody. That's amazing. Pro baseball players are stacking sats. Yeah, it's happening, definitely. Changing their time preference. This is amazing. You know, I, I, I'm always interested in, you know, these kind of characters that are doing that because, you know, what's the bridge? We're always trying to think of what's the bridge out of the Bitcoin echo chamber, um, Bitcoin Twitter echo chamber. Uh, how do we reach the masses? Um, now, we've seen in the UK, uh, Watford Football Club um, are sponsored by uh, Sportsbet.io um, and they have the Bitcoin logo on their sleeve, uh, which is like, you know, crazy. You're like, my God, it's going to start happening. You know, there could be, I mean, that stadium probably holds 40,000 people every week. And, you know, you, you're getting exposed to that now. Just, it's like, it's like memeing. Um, it's, so it's happening, right? It, it's going to happen in the next uh, few years for sure. Yeah. I'm curious when some player is going to negotiate that they get paid in Bitcoin or if that's going to happen and what that's going to look like. I'm on the lookout for that because that's a good niche for me to try to get into as a as a business. <laughs> yeah, but, give me a cash up affiliate link as well. Like, you know, yeah, start stacking exactly. sats with my <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, let's let's talk um rabbit hole story then, because you touched on it pretty pretty briefly. Um you you you're still back in your baseball ba- baseball days, um, around 2017. 
when did you heard about Bitcoin? Like, you know, what like, what was the lead up to this? So I had heard about Bitcoin back in 2013, I think, was the first time. And this was in college. And there were some some kids, uh, they did some project with Bitcoin mining. I remember the guy telling me, oh, yeah, you can use computer and you get the coins. And uh, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But, you know, kind of brushed it off. Um, and then I think uh, I think I bought like. This was in now in like 2016, where I was talking to one of our family friends, and I was like, "Hey, what do you think about Bitcoin?" And he was like, "Oh, Bitcoin, I don't know, but blockchain technology—that's going to be the big." <laughs> and that's where I was like, hmm, "Okay, we'll see." So I bought like twenty dollars of Bitcoin, um, which so I started following it, and then that's when like, kind of in 2017. Uh, I, it got a little more hype. I got in a little more and started really going down the rabbit hole of, okay, this is like the money that that's why I, I think I started learning more about the the money system, the government money system and just how that's a total mess that nobody thinks the regular people don't even think about, but that why, why in the world would we let a completely incompetent organization have a monopoly over the money supply? It just doesn't make sense from a first principles basis. And yeah, you start doing the calculation of the market cap. There's this much fiat currency out there. This is the market cap of gold. And then you're like, okay, Bitcoin has a real ceiling that's way higher than what it currently is. So yeah, that was, that was kind of how my start into the rabbit hole began. But I mean, it's, the rabbit hole is still, I'm still falling. It's pretty, pretty, pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, we certainly are. So, okay. So end of baseball comes, um, you're kind of released into the world. You, you, you finish off a little bit of school, I think you said. Yeah. Um, computer science, yeah. was that right? Yeah, I studied uh, computer science. So just finishing up a few classes to get a, a degree. Um Meanwhile, trying to figure out what the heck to do. And I was, had made a little money from the Bitcoin, like not enough to really, but, but then it all went back down. So then I was like, oh no, I don't have any money anymore. Um, and I think now we're in like spring of 2018 and I was coaching baseball at my high school. And that's when I started digging into, uh, I got Andreas Antonopoulos's book, um, Mastering Bitcoin, which is actually just, it's on, it's open source. So uh, there's a free free version on, on GitHub. I went through it and I was like, I'm going to teach myself kind of how to do the programming side of this because I can program and so I'm going to learn Bitcoin. And I actually put together this uh, little website, which um, it was a lottery. So it was, it was a little Bitcoin lottery website where you basically send in uh, some Bitcoin and then every hour a winner is picked and it dishes out the Bitcoin to the winner. And it was provably fair because um, it would use like the, the block hash, the latest Bitcoin block hash as like the, to determine who the winner was going to be. Um, so it's kind of a neat little thing, but I just was really using it with my friends. And, uh, but then I started realizing, okay, this actually isn't something I can take public because it's not legal. <laughs> So that was, and I was like, even if it is successful, I'll just have a big mess on my hands. And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to, uh, 
try to get a job and I applied to BitGo and they liked the technical side of my project and that, that kind of landed me the job at BitGo. So for those of us that are listening that haven't heard of BitGo or don't know what they do or what they're about, they're still around, what, what, what's, the, what's the word on BitGo? So BitGo is, um, started, it started off as a multi-signature wallet uh, platform. So it was a website and you can go on and you can get uh, two of three multi-sig wallet where you, hold, you, you can hold two of the keys and they hold one key or you can give hold one key, have a third party hold the, the second key, and BitGo holds the third. And uh, it's a web wallet, so you can log in and use that. Or they also have an API, um, which means you can, if you're like building an exchange, you can plug into BitGo software so they handle kind of the wallet management, creating, signing transactions. Um, their API can handle that, um, and you can just focus on building out like, the main part, the other parts of your exchange. So that's kind of how BitGo started. And now they've evolved into doing also custody for a lot of um, uh, institutions, like full on, uh, full custody and trading, uh, like a trading platform and all that. And yeah, they, they're just kind of like OGs in terms of they've been around the crypto space for a while. They're pioneers of multisig. Uh, Mike Belshi is the CEO, and he was he was one of the original guys to just really bring multisig um, to the forefront. Um, he's a like learned so much from him. He was, it was really just an honor to be able to work for him for a while. Uh, I thought he was he was a great mentor. Um, and yeah, they're they're just like now really getting into like they have a bank charter and they're custodying assets and they they're very uh comp- compliant so they comply with all the legal stuff um and yeah it was a great, great company a little bit like much smaller company than uh than square which i'm at now but uh bit goes growing growing pretty nicely so how did that transition come around so at bitgo um the one, the one, my one kind of gripe with BitGo is that they get into all the other coins, right? So we were, because it's hard, you know, they get paid a lot of money to support these alternative coins um, that I'm just, I'm just not interested in. Because I think a lot of these other coins are just, frankly, kind of like scams dressed up in, uh, kind of dressed up scams in a lot of cases. Um but yet a lot of my time started getting spent on like figuring out why EOS is like the EOS node is 200 blocks behind all the others. And it turns out just the EOS network is crappy. <laughs> um, and so a lot of my time was spent working on these other coins and not on Bitcoin. And I was like, that's where I started looking for an opportunity where I can work fully on Bitcoin. Um, so I reached out to Cash App and applied because um, Cash App's Bitcoin only. Um and was lucky enough to to get the job and started in March, and so now we've just been been working at Cash App and uh, have a great team, of people to learn from, and I'm working from home, uh, but they have a great culture of staying connected with keeping like keeping us all connected, and it's super exciting because I actually get to work on Bitcoin like every day now, so it's really fun. Very very cool. Um, I mean, I, I think I'd be probably. A little uh, 
remiss if I didn't ask about, I know that, you know, the Bitcoin side is solid. Um, what's kind of your thoughts on, you know, buying slivers of stonks? And um, because it's almost comparable with Robinhood, I would guess, in a way. Um, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's I think it's awesome that, one that I really like what Cash App's doing is um, bringing kind of general finance to people who aren't even, don't even have bank accounts. And I think the slivers of stock is really cool because uh, now you can access like Tesla or Amazon or some of these bigger uh, companies. And yeah, obviously that's been really beneficial lately because the stock market has just taken off um, with all this money printing going on. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't invest in the stock market too much, but it's nice to be able to give customers the option to do that if they want. Yeah, I agree, man. I wish it was around like 20, 30 years ago. Um, when I was first learning about, you know, the stock market and whatever else I got my fingers burnt with penny stocks and, you know, it's just, that sucks. But if I could have been buying slivers of, you know, Berkshire or someone like that back then, um, that would have served me much better. Uh, I, I certainly now I want to push people more towards sats rather than, you know, slivers of stonks. That's put my personal kind of when when people ask me, it's like just just stack the sats, just you know, stay out of <laughs> yeah. the stock market for now, please, and probably for yeah. the rest of your life. That that game is rigged. Um, if you ask me, because of like you said, the money printing, um, that's that's a rigged game. Um, but anyway, before recording, we got talking about the Twitter thing, and uh, you, you weren't really sure exactly what you could or couldn't say about the hack. Um, I don't know if you've got any response yet from from the team. Are you uh, whether you have clearance or still still waiting, but. We can talk about uh, maybe we come back to it in a few minutes. Um, yeah, exactly. Let, let's 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 um, settle on something else. I want to ask you about um, your your threads, which are nuts. Um, and I want to go through um, certainly one, maybe two, if we get the time, um, because like Sweet. you you put this information out there that is so easy to understand, and I don't know uh, whether you realize you have this skill. And like I asked you before, like you should should you work on something you're weak at or leverage your strength? And your strength for me is clearly like you have a deep knowledge about like um, the computer side of of things, the the programming side, the cryptography side, and you have your skill is clearly getting these things, these ideas and messages across in brilliantly worded, easy to understand threads. Um, and I want to like go through the one I've been reading through. I've read it two or three times already. Um, is the uh, the hash? Uh, you know what is a hash? And SHA two fifty six. And I'm sure many listeners are probably in the same kind of position that they've learned all of these terms like SHA two fifty six hashing, um, UTXOs, and all this kind of stuff might fly over our heads. So can we go through uh, like the hash one and? Yeah. Um, yeah, Help anyone sure. out there that might be listening. Hash function. What, Danny? What is a hash function? Great. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah. So hash function. Hash functions are so important, and they're such a backbone of Bitcoin. 
and it's kind of hard to explain a lot of Bitcoin without them. And um, yeah, so I guess uh, the way the, the fingerprint analogy, I think, is one that really helps where you can everything has a fingerprint, no matter what the data is. It can be like can be a picture like any type of data on a computer is really just a bunch of ones and zeros whether it's a, an image, it's whether it's text, whether it's um, w- whatever it is, it's a bunch of ones and zeros. And so you can take that that input data and just run some math equation on it. And that's that's basically what a hash function is. is it's, it's a math equation that takes some data and then spits out this fingerprint. And so then it has a lot of nice properties. So one of the, the nice properties is that it's very un- like two finger two different. If the data changes at all, the fingerprint changes a lot, and so that fingerprint can then now be like sort of an identifier um, for that data. It's used for a lot of random things in in computer science, like uh, like for example, if your if your web browser is is downloading an image from the internet, it identifies that image using the hash of the data. And this actually might be a simplification, but so it says, hey, does anyone have an image that hashes to this? And then one of the computers will be like, oh, I do. And then you don't have to go all the way to the uh, the actual Twitter server to get the image. You can get it from one of the closer by computers. Say, oh, I have that image because I know the hash. And then they send it to you. And it happens, with, they use it with software too. Like before you run a software, before you run some code on your computer, you check the hash of it, make sure it's what you expect before you run that code. Sorry, so that's so you can think of hash functions kind of like a fingerprint. Yeah, the kind of analogy I think um, you were using on that on that thread was when you use your own name and you've got the um, what's it uh, Zorbin uh, where you can go to um, go and play around with like the SHA two fifty six hash function. Yeah, I'd recommend people play around with that because you can see how you can put in anything as the input and then it spits out a hash which is going to be completely different every time every time you change the input data. Right. So you you put in Danny and mm-hmm. it gives out the the hash um, 662 six, six, yeah, exactly. You know, lowercase c 67141c20 <laughs> and I was playing around with it this morning and sure enough I put in I go to that website, I put Danny in as you've written it with a capital D, uh, two n's and a y and bam, it's exactly the same. That's the yep. fingerprint for Danny. If I yep. take away the Y, those numbers change all over the place. Yep. Completely. And that's one of the, if you change one smallest thing in the input, it just, the hash becomes completely different. Um, what was interesting to me, I put in Danny with a space, so it still looks like Danny, exactly the same, and then, bam, completely different, yep. completely different hash. Yep. And this is this is just, a property of the math equation that gets used, which I I can't explain how it works, but it has to do with prime numbers and they they take like the square root and the cube root and they factor it with all these primes. And there was a ton of research that went into developing functions like this that behave like this. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, so I can't really explain how it works. You can look that up, get into all those deep details people if they want but the cool thing is what we can do with it um and so that's one thing is like identifying 
data. Or I think one of the examples I go in is uh, with passwords. So if you ever wonder why um, on a website you do forgot my password, why don't they just send you your password? Um, you have to create a new one. And the reason is they the, the website doesn't know what your password is. They never actually store your password. What they store is the hash of your password. Um, and the reason they do that is because if some hacker or even some employee can access their database, if, if they just stored the plain text password, then they could get all they could get all the passwords um, for all the users and then they log in as them. But if instead, so they store the hash and then when you log in, you send them the password, they take the hash of it, compare it to the hash in the database. And if it matches, then you're good. And then, then they don't have to, so they have your password temporarily, but they don't save that data like somewhere that where it lasts a long time. It just is on their, it's on their machine very briefly to hash it and check. And then they discard it, they delete it so that it's not like sitting around for some hacker to find. Right. So if your, if your password is Danny for a website, you go to like Cash App, whatever, password, what's your password, you put in Danny. Yeah. Then on their side, they're going to see 662C6714. But you one day you forget, oh, what was that password I put in? Could you send me back my password? If they sent you back 66C7, you'd be like, what the hell is this? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. And you can't then, reverse engineer it, right? This is yeah. So that's yeah. That's the other huge component is that you can't go from the hash back to what the data was. It's like a one-way function, and very. This is very important. Actually, we kind of. This is mostly why they're so useful. Is uh, and that's just a property of how the math works. Exactly. If you have the hash, you you can't figure out what the original data was, unless someone tells you. And that brings us on to something we we hear quite a lot in this space about, uh, like brute force attack. You know what what is a brute force attack? Right. Yeah. So brute force um, is exactly that. So this is a uh, a brute force is just guess and check. You just keep guessing, keep guessing, keep guessing. Um, for example, if say say my computer was seized by the FBI and they need to unlock it. They, they would have some powerful computer that would just guess passwords over guess every combination of all the letters and just keep guessing, 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 guessing until boom, they can unlock it. Um, and that's the only way to kind of crack a hash. Um, the thing is, hashes are, are so big, they're so long that, at least in this case, that doing that is basically impossible because... Like, for example, SHA-256 means there's 256 bits. So the number of possibilities, um, the number of possible combinations for, uh, like, a 256-bit data is the same as the number of atoms in the universe, basically. <laughs> so it's like, for them to try to guess and check, like, what pass? What your password? If they have your the, the hash of your password, and they're trying to guess what it is, it's like trying to find an atom in the entire universe. Um, basically impossible. So how does hashing then tie in with Bitcoin? Like, uh, what, what's the 
So, yeah, so this is where we get into mining. So now it's like, okay, we have these crazy hash functions. And if I ask you and I say, okay, can, are you able, and I can challenge you, I can say, hey, hey, uh, hey, Dan, are you able to find something that hashes to a value that starts with a zero? And in Bitcoin, is this is what the miners do. So they have a list of transactions. And to include it in, to get these transactions mined, to create like a valid block to add to the blockchain, they got to take the list of, a list of some transactions and they hash it. And it has, when they hash it, it has to have a certain number of leading zeros. Um, and so they're basically, and, and because there's no way to really predict what the value of the hash is going to be unless you try it. They basically are just guessing and checking over and over again, trying to figure out some combination of transactions that hash to a value that starts with a bunch of zeros. How, how's, how's that sounded? <laughs> I'm still confused. It's uh... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so where, where I break down on the confusion with the mining thing is I understand there are these ASIC machines, which are not running shoes. Uh, there are um, these machines, yeah. you know, all around the world that are taking the transactions. So people are sending Bitcoin to each other uh, across the ledger all of the time uh, across the blockchain. Um, and every ten minutes, uh, well, once we meet um, the uh, the transaction size, one megabyte um, per block, th then they've got to guess, this is what the machines are doing. They're trying to brute force this magic number that starts with at least three zeros. That's that's rough, roughly what's going on, except uh, it's more like, I think it's more like 18 zeros now. <laughs> but How does the number get set? Like, how does the zero, 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 where, where does that get set? So that's part of the difficulty adjustment. And I actually have a whole thread. I have a thread on mining, and I have a thread on difficulty adjustment as well, um, which I would I would suggest people check those out. Um, and also ask me questions on Twitter too, if uh, if you have questions. But let's try to go over this. So, so you you said that. So when we send a transaction, and you you see unconfirmed, um, like it's not confirmed yet, that's what's called the mempool, and those are transactions that have been seen. The Bitcoin nodes have all passed them around, so everyone's seen them, but they're not finalized because they haven't been included into the blockchain yet. Um, so to do that, and each of those transactions leaves a little fee. It's like, hey, if you, hey miner, if you can, if you include me, you get like ten thousand Sats. So the miners are like, okay, I'm gonna get as many of these transactions as I can to get all these fees, and they bundle them up into a data, like uh, a, just a, a thing of data. And now, but so they really want to get these transactions into a block because they get those fees, they get the block reward. Um, so they take that list of transactions and they take the hash. And they're hoping that when they hash it, it has a bunch of zeros in front of it. Because if they do, then they, they found a valid block. The problem is they got no idea what, what uh, these transactions are going to hash to. So they hash it. They see, oh, it started with seven. Too bad. So now what do you do? 
So now you try again, but you have to change something in the data, right? Because if you take the hash of Danny every time over and over again, it's going to be the same thing. So they have the same list of transactions. What they do is they just tweak one number, like in the top of the, they just change a one to a two up in, there's like an actual space in the block format that's like, it's called the nonce. And this is where they're allowed to just like change the number. It's just a random number. doesn't matter. But by changing that number by one, they hash it again and something else pops out. And so they keep changing that nonce. They change that number and then hash it and check it. Change the number, hash the whole thing, check it. Change the number, hash the whole thing, check it. Um, and eventually one of them, because there's so many machines doing this like millions and millions of times a second uh, or even more, I don't even know. It's like terahash, it's some crazy amount. Um, eventually somebody hits the jackpot and they, they hash this thing and it comes out and there's a bunch of zeros in front. And at that point they can say, okay, I've proved like, and this is what, why they call it proof of work. Cause like by doing that, you either prove that you got really, really lucky, but really what you've proven is that you've tried a ton of times to like create this thing. Uh, so it's called proof of work and then you send it out to all the network and all the network is designed to accept that as a valid block. It's added to the chain, and now those transactions are final. Um, how's that sounding? <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's a lot clearer. Um, still, so difficult for people to um, get their heads around. Uh, it's yeah, like- yeah, and it's also like why why do this and it's such a weird thing to do, but what it does is it, it helps everyone. It helps a bunch of users that don't trust each other all agree on what the real history is and which transactions are came first. So it's a weird game that Satoshi invented and it's, it seems like it's kind of just like, just weird, but it, it works to bring consensus. Yeah, it's mad. It's um, it's it's a rabbit hole. I need to go a lot further into. And uh, <laughs> reading your threads definitely helps. What when you've been like uh, getting deep into the weeds of this stuff? What have you found like the the most difficult to to understand and wrap your head around? I would say it just keeps getting. Uh, it gets deeper and deeper with like. Uh, First, it's transactions, but then it's scripts. So, like multisig, how does how does an address, a single address, uh, allow like require multiple people to spend from it? And then it's getting into even more complex things like the Lightning Network, and uh, just ex- explaining how how that kind of works is is challenging because it's there's multiple. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm preparing a th- or I'm I'm getting ready to do a thread on the Lightning Network, which is going to be a challenge to explain. But yeah, it gets deeper and deeper. And now there's like Schnorr signatures, which is like a a better way of doing signatures that they're working on. And there's Taproot, which allows you also to com- compress, uh, like have smaller transactions, but even if a lot of people are signing it. So there's like a big multi-sig account. Like I feel like you like I can look in both directions. I can try to look 
like looking deep down further, there's just things like, oh my God, like I don't understand how this works, but these people do. So you try to learn from them and you try to turn around and shout back to the people that are like just learning and try to learn about the basic stuff. And there's just like, I feel like I'm stuck in between them trying to connect the dots. <laughs> well, let's hit uh, another thread you did um, and plenty of jargon in there, uh, like UTXOs. Could you explain, you know, what, what, what that means? and um you know what what that is yeah so a utxo is uh is very important it's basically like a dollar bill or a quarter or a ten dollar bill um these are like the real units of um they're like what you have in your wallet um so like say you create a new uh bitcoin wallet on electrum or some basic self-custody wallet, and then you withdraw from Cash App, and you withdraw 0.1 Bitcoin. You're then going to have, the, the Cash App transaction is going to have a bunch of things in it, but one of those little recipients in the transaction is going to be you. And so now you're going to have one UTXO in your Electrum wallet, and that's going to be worth 0.1 Bitcoin. Um, and then say you withdraw later for like 0.9 Bitcoin. So now you're going to, your wallet balance is going to say one Bitcoin, but you'll have two UTXOs. One of them will be 0.9 and one of them will be 0.1. And these are kind of like underneath the hood, the UTXOs are anytime you spend, you have to spend uh, full UTXOs. So let's say, um, your wallet, you got one Bitcoin, but it's really broken into a 0.1 and a 0.9 um, UTXO. Uh, which stands for like unspent transaction. Did I say that already? Oh, right. Yeah, I don't know if we said that, but yeah. Unspent, unspent transaction output. output. Is that right? Yeah. Right, yeah. Exactly. And so, and the reason it's called uh, output is because that is like, you'll, so... Okay, so, so unspent transaction output. So say you have two of those. Now say you want to pay someone uh, 0.05 Bitcoin. You have to take one of your UTXOs and you have to spend all of it. You can't like spend half of it. And so you, you create a transaction and the transaction is going to have an input, which is going to be your, you'll take your 0.1 UTXO. You're going to create an output, which is a 0.5 UTXO. And then you'll, okay, so now there's another, so they have to add up though, right? So we're, we're, we're paying a friend point, point oh 0.05 uh, Bitcoin and we're using our 0.1 UTXO. We, we're going to create a transaction where the input is the 0.1 UTXO. So this is like you're taking a $0.1 bill and you're going to the counter to pay for it. But your thing only costs... 0.05. So they're going to give you 0.05 is going to go to the cashier and 0.05 is going to come back as change to your wallet. So now what you'll have in your wallet, you'll have created a transaction that gives, it eliminates your 0.1 UTXO that becomes spent. So it's no longer a UTXO because it's spent. It's no longer unspent. That one's gone. 0.05 has gone to your friend. And now you, you have a 0.05 UTXO 
back in your wallet. So now we have a 0.9 UTXO from your other withdrawal and you have a 0.05 UTXO that's the change from when you spent to your friend. How's and that does that, po- does that 0.05 that comes back to you, that, that has a new address, a new... Exactly, hash. yeah. That'll be a new address that your wallet controls. And that's a whole new, it's its own UTXO now. So it's just like the other ones, but you made it yourself and you paid it back to yourself. And this system solves the double spend problem. This, this helps with uh, that. It's because, yeah, th- this helps a lot with the double spend problem because now like every transaction specifically comes from an older one. And so in that way, all the transactions are linked And like if one, a single UTXO, you can't spend it twice because ultimately only one of those paths is going to win out and uh, be on the longer uh, blockchain. And there are other ways I think that like Bitcoin could have been designed that don't do this. Like uh, for example, Ethereum doesn't, they they don't use this UTXO model. Um, That has its other trade-offs though, where they, it's different. It's like account based and there are some similarities, but I don't think one, I think the UTXO model works really nicely and it's super uh, one. It's, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around at first, but it makes a lot of sense in terms of accounting once you sort of. Well, it, I guess the, the way that you've explained it now that, it, you know, it's, this is the way to keep the integrity of the chain. Yeah, there's a yeah very um, like there's a path of all the all the transactions you can trace them all back in uh, through all the different UTXOs all the way back to when they were mined, um, which is pretty nice. Yeah, it's mind blowing. <laughs> makes it really easy to audit. Makes it really easy to audit the supply. Uh, make sure that no new coins are created. And that's what um, a note does. If you get if you buy it like an off-the-shelf node or build your node and you plug it in, that's what it's doing, right? It spends the first 24 hours or whatever else just retracing those yeah. steps. Yeah, basically. It, it builds all... Your node will build the entire history of all transactions from the very beginning. Um, and some of them, you can have it actually store all... store the data for every transaction or you can have it like only stored ones you care about. Um depending on how you want to configure it. But yeah, that's what all the nodes, every single node is doing that. They're all validating, making sure uh, no new coins are created. Everyone's following the rules. And if anyone doesn't follow the rules, they'll get rejected from, from your node and everyone else's node. Man, you are so deep down the rabbit hole compared to uh, myself. I hope to catch up with you one day. I, I will do following your threads and I, um, I want to push anybody listening to this to your, your Twitter account, uh, criminally underfollowed at the moment. Um, you're doing yeah. some great work. I really love Thanks. it. Um, can I ask, like, what is, what, what is your hope for the future and Bitcoin, you know, what, what are you hoping that Bitcoin is going to, to change? Um, I, I just hope that 
the world can be more free um that i i want governments to have less power i want uh kind of all the systems that i think are inefficient and oppressive and uh not really doing good for the world uh i think i just envision a world that's more more free is like more efficient and uh more peaceful also like i'd love to be able to hop on a private, uh, sorry, like a, a regular airplane that's not like, I don't know, kind of going through TSA and government checks and all this stuff. I'd love to hop on an airplane and go to another country and just walk right in. Nobody checking my passport, my identity, anything like that, because all I'd love to see all the like kind of barriers between governments kind of dissolve, everyone on the same currency, uh, basically Bitcoin, everyone kind of stacking sats um, and just people getting along and the whole world on the same system, people specializing uh, in what they're good at and then having money they can trust. And yeah, that's kind of my vision broadly. Yeah. Sound money, man. Imagine a world, sound money and free markets. Yeah. No borders. It sounds so crazy. It's such a hard, like, you know, just explaining that. It, so many people are just going, what, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, you they know, don't. Like, of course you need borders. Of course you need passports. Of course, you, you know, you've got to stop terrorism. You've got to stop money laundering. You've got to stop drug smuggling and all of this. You're like. Yeah. And I don't even, I think, I, I think the war on drugs too is just a complete disaster. It should not be to never have been a thing in the first place. And it's so inefficient. Like people, I think a drug abuse is a mental health problem and it shouldn't be a, uh, shouldn't be a criminal problem as well. And yeah, I just love to see a lot more freedoms in the world. Are you, um, are you hopeful that uh, you know in the next one to two years we're gonna we're gonna have many more people coming into the space and and kind of like beat the big banks, the big pension funds, the big hedge funds? I mean, I know they're coming in now. Um, this is the advent of that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that uh, I think we're perfectly positioned in the sense that there are a lot of people that have been stacking for a while now. And if these big players want to come in and governments want to come in and capture, you know, 1%, 2% of the Bitcoin supply, they're going to have to drive the price like way up. And this this isn't like the gold markets where central banks own and are leasing out all the gold. This is a new thing. And if people want to join the ecosystem, like they're going to have to pay up. And uh, I just think it's fascinating and how, especially with all these different countries, uh, the U.S. versus China, Russia, um, Iran. The game theory is starting to play out where the U.S. dollar is kind of a weapon. These other countries are going to be incentivized to use something else. They don't trust each other. They can't transport gold easily. And Bitcoin's just here and it's ready. And it's not perfect, but... I just think it's inevitable that 
people are going to continue to see value in Bitcoin. So I, I love being a part of it. I think it's so exciting. Like we're so lucky to be living during this time. Yeah. It, you know, I, I echo those sentiments. I think it's the most fascinating time um, we're ever going to live through. And, you know, this, this transfer of, you know, what you, what you're explaining is that is a transfer of wealth. This is what people like. I think that kind of gets glossed over a little bit. It's like if nation states, um, pension funds or, you know, sovereign wealth state funds, whatever they come in and they drive this thing higher and higher and higher because they will, um, because it will become a, you know, self-reinforcing loop and greed has, um, a huge part to play, especially, you know, in uh, like the uh, pension funds, for example. This thing moons very, very quickly. And then the people that have been holding for the last five, 10 years, whatever it is, that's the transfer of wealth there. It gets, it gets put to them. And then you see, I think, a complete political shift uh, because you have a lot of people in in this space that are, um, you know, either politically, well, certainly unaligned with what's going on in politics right now. And all of a sudden you have all of this wealth. We, we know money speaks, right? And so right. it's going to be... I can't even envisage what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. It's, it's almost, yeah, it's, I'm almost skeptical of like how, cause it seems like it's so good to almost too good to be true. But then again, like that's how it's been for the last 10 years and the world's a mess and it needs something like this. So I was, I, one thing I was really kind of surprised in a positive way when I, I think it was last year when, the U.S. Congress was talking about Bitcoin and crypto. And it seemed like almost half the people there were kind of positive about it. And then you started thinking, some of these senators, some of these congressmen, they have Bitcoin. Like, they're part of this. And, or they have, you know, investments in companies. And so I think that's where you really start to see when the people in power all of a sudden are aligned with Bitcoin. You start to see the old power structures dissolve. And like you said, that's the transfer of wealth. Uh, as more enter the space. So pretty Man. exciting. Well, before I um, ask you the final question, um, did you get any Slack notifications? I heard a, a few clicks. Do you know um, whether you're, you're no, allowed I, to? I can, talk a little, I can talk a little bit about this. So the Twitter hack, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, this was, this was super interesting because you see these things all the time on Twitter, right? Like, hey, send your money and uh, we'll double it. And it's some fake account with the same profile picture. But this was the actual accounts with the blue check marks doing it. And so at first we were thinking, okay, just this account got hacked. And I was like, oh, someone else got hacked. Another one. And then it was like Elon Musk and Bill Gates and, and even the Cash App account got hacked as well. Um, and that's where uh, this is just what a typical, it was a typical, a normal Tuesday for us. And we're like, okay, like what's going on? We got to do something here. Um, and. At what point did you know? At what point were you like, what the hell? Like, you know, was there like, did Slack so there just were, light up? 
Oh, yeah, slack, slack lit up, and then we heard, uh, we're like, okay, there's a big Twitter exploit, and someone had said that this seems to be uh, like an inside, a lot of, so usually my first impression with hacks like this is that it's usually an inside job, because that's, the employees are the closest things to the system and the easiest to compromise, and it turns out that's that's what it was, is... Uh, that I actually don't know all the details, but it sounds like um, some Twitter employees with access to internal systems were like fished, um, socially engineered to give up credentials. Um, and yeah, like these accounts I think got sold on the, on the dark web. Um, and yeah. That was that was crazy. We were we were most we weren't super concerned about the the Bitcoin because obviously Cash App users some of them were withdrawing. Um, we were pretty quickly able to. Uh, so, when we, you say we're, we're withdrawing, do you think like you mean like some Cash App users were like falling for the scam and yeah, no way, yeah, yeah. holy um, crap! So you man you managed to catch that. Yeah, so we pretty quickly were able to like block um, sense to, to that address because it was just like one or two addresses, um, and uh, and that's which is which is pretty basic as well, right? Like you know, this is not yeah, it's it's like a high tech attack and at the same time a complete misunderstanding of oh yeah, I think they totally botched it, and I know that Coinbase did the same thing where. I think they blocked Coinbase blocked something like two hundred thousand um, dollars. That's what I heard. And if the hacker had just reused, just used a new address for each tweet, we no one would have been able to block anything because each new tweet would have been a new address. And or they could have like blocked them one by one, but it would have been way harder to keep up. Um, and all these, uh, yeah. It's it's pretty interesting, and obviously, if you um, hold your own keys and use your own uh, Bitcoin software, um, no one's gonna no one can stop you from sending. And so, we actually that's one thing at Cash App is like, some people are like, oh, that's centralized that you can just block sends, but we're a centralized company, and that's our role, and we encourage our users to withdraw to their own custody, and uh, we see a lot of people doing that. So, um, yeah, it's we're, we're kind of a service. We think it's, it's our role to protect our customers when something like this happens. Um, I think people were happy about it eventually because I don't think it – no one was actually doubling their money on these scams. <laughs> so. so, yeah, for we kind of perhaps washed over it a little bit. Um, for, for those listeners that um, don't know exactly what we're talking about, um, at time of recording – um, the back end of last week, there was a Twitter scam where the blue check marks, those are accounts that are verified with a little blue check and a tick, generally have millions of followers. They were, um, they were hacked. And the message they sent out from these, um, like, for example, if we use Elon Musk, uh, I'm feeling generous, send me um, $1,000 worth of Bitcoin to this address, and there was the address and I will double it and send you $2,000 worth of Bitcoin back. It's like a classic right, Nigerian prince email scheme, um, just going down on Twitter and using Bitcoin instead of, of cash. Um, 
and yeah, cash up. You, you you managed to to stop your customers from from sending to those addresses and put a ban on sending anything to those addresses. Yeah, and then we were kind of. Uh, I think that's what what most uh, exchanges did as well. I know Coinbase did the same thing. Um, we we thought it was important to protect our customers from this. Um, but yeah. And what's like the the wider worry now with 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 this happening again, you know, like um, I mean, Twitter and, and Square and, and Cash App, you're very much kind of the same company or not. I don't know exactly. I mean, obviously Jack Dorsey is uh, CEO We're of both. Separate. Right. Yeah, he's a uh, he he's CEO of both, but but we're separate, um, definitely separate companies. And I think honestly, this we got away. Twitter got away with something that could have been a lot worse because they, the hack was only on the order of, I think maybe a hundred thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, whereas these hackers had god powers on Twitter and they could have tweeted, you know, something about a war or like started some huge conflict um, or even just did better at scamming than, than like obviously <laughs> this obvious hack that everyone can see and just stopped. <laughs> um, but I think it's a big wake up call to companies about internal controls and uh, um, also phishing, like spear phishing of employees. So like as an employee, like you can do it all you want for the security of your software systems. But if your employee clicks on a link and gets tricked into entering their credentials somewhere, I mean, that can screw you over entirely, which it seems like that's kind of what happened here. Um, so I know at, at like what we do at Cash App and what we did at BitGo as well is that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of what we call like the two person rule or even anytime, like if you need to access something super important, it needs to get approved by another employee. And so no one person has, is like a single point of failure um, in terms of being able to access like secure systems or actual coins or anything like that. Um, and even in like, you know, cold storage where there's the most Bitcoin, it's like more than two people. It's multiple people with different keys split to different locations and uh, super, a lot of uh, complex logic that keeps it protected against stuff like this. Yeah, a big wake up call. And um, yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. These guys are going to get caught. There's no doubt. There's, uh, you know, that, that this can all get tracked back, traced back pretty easily. Right. Uh, there's, there's no way. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I, I was seeing something about how maybe they're, um, maybe they didn't do their mixing properly and they, they I haven't been following it too much, but I think you can follow like the chain analysis of what they're doing to try to hide these coins. But yeah, I'm not sure. Cause I'm also not sure if it, if a Twitter employee went rogue or if they were tricked and I think they were tricked, but I'm not sure. Well, we will find out. Okay. Danny, yeah. um, I'm going to ask you the final question and it goes along the lines of if you had one red pill left to give someone <laughs> to enter into the Bitcoin rabbit hole, who would that person be and why? 
Interesting. I would, uh, you know what I think? Mm, that's a good question. So my first thought was like Vladimir Putin. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason is because I think if we just get, if some country takes a strong stance on like we're Bitcoin, it's just a chain reaction and all the others are going to go after it. But then it's like, mm, if Russia, you know, really gets into it, U.S. might ban it which would not be fun. I, they couldn't stop it, but it'd just be inconvenient for us out here. Um, you know, there'd be a lot of boating accidents. Uh, <laughs> um, but, I was, yeah, some head of state, like maybe someone like Putin or uh, whoever becomes president, whether it's Trump or, or Biden or someone else coming up, the U.S. president getting red pilled would be nice. For sure. Well, yeah. who knows? Who knows? And um, for those listening that keep hearing about boating accidents, do you want to fill them in if they're, if they're not completely 100% up with the meme? <laughs> because Bitcoin yeah. memes move pretty quick. Yeah. So I think this was actually used to be a gold meme where people would say, oh, I lost all my gold in a boating accident. Um, as a way of then no one can prove that you still have the gold that you bought from this person whenever 10 years ago. And so the same joke goes around Bitcoiners. Oh, we lost our Bitcoin in a boating accident. Um, and I mean, I lost mine in a boating accident just, just two days ago. So sorry to hear that, man. Just got to start stacking all over again. I'm off kayaking tomorrow. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Danny, thank you so much. Where can people um, come and find you? And, um, you know, what, what are your final thoughts? What, if there's anything that you want to leave the listeners with? Uh, final thoughts is like, I would just encourage people, if you're interested in Bitcoin and you think that, oh, I like Bitcoin, but it's a little too complicated for me to understand, just keep asking questions and uh, reach out to me on Twitter. Um, I like answering. And even if I don't answer it, usually someone else does. Um, and just keep asking questions because a lot of this stuff is just, it's a lot to take in, but as you spend more time with it, it gets more and more clear and things start to make more sense. So yeah, there's en endless uh, knowledge. Like we're all still learning, gets deeper and deeper. It's super exciting. And yeah, just I welcome everyone into this this crazy world. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. That's probably the, the most, where I'm most active. And yeah. Yeah, go find Danny because the threads are amazing. Thank you so much for everything you're doing, mate. It's a, it's a brilliant story, um, you know, coming out of like professional baseball into, into the Bitcoin space. And, um, you know, like clearly very much down the rabbit hole, computer science, background you know very very interesting and still a very young man so it's uh lots of um lots of exciting times ahead thanks and i'm i'm super excited i know this podcast is gonna just keep taking off um so congrats to you on, on starting it and i know you've had a super interesting journey as well with traveling the world with your family and uh writing that book uh, which i gotta check out and uh yeah thanks for having me it's been a blast 
nice to hope maybe we can do this again sometime for sure man well take care and uh, enjoy the rest of your day cool you too Hey guys, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Danny, getting down some very, very deep rabbit holes, but in a very understandable way. And, um, you know, apologies if I uh, spent too much time at the beginning of the interview on the baseball stuff and his uh, professional career. Not that I've ever been a fan of baseball, coming from the wrong side of the pond, but I find it fascinating, um, you know, the, the life of a professional athlete and, you know, what it takes to make that, that, that next little leap. And, um, you know, just try and lift the lid a little bit on what a life like that looks like, you know, because very few of us are ever exposed to what actually happens, you know, behind the scenes and uh, in the dressing room and uh, in the training grounds. Um, so, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, sorry if I asked too many questions there. Um, definitely reach out to Danny though on Twitter. Go and find him. Go and hit him up because he's doing some great work, like I said. Uh, really enjoyed Learning so much about um, like uh, Shah, um, UTXOs, uh, life at BitGo, life at Square, the Cash App thing. So much, um, so much going on. Still such a young man. So much to offer in this space, and I really uh, look forward to uh, anything else that um, he he puts out there. I, I really enjoy his his threads, and um, like I say, criminally underfollowed at the moment. Just around five thousand followers. So go check him out at Danny D. Kroger. Um, yeah. D-I-E-K-R-O-E-G-E-R is the way you spell his surname. So <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. You'll be able to go and dig it out and uh, go say hi to Danny. He's such a great guy. Um, if you've got any questions for him, shoot them over. Get in his DMs. And, you know, you might um, inspire a thread and, and help him think of uh, something in a slightly different manner that's going to unlock somebody else this is all we're trying to do is just unlock another person at a time if we can red pill another person a day uh, like swan say you know we're trying to recruit 10 million bitcoiners we can all do a bit <laughs> yeah i've said it before uh danny's doing threads and he's doing a great job i'm doing a podcast um other people are making memes there's something you guys can do just a retweet a share a like uh, you know, it, it all it all helps, and um, it might feel as though you're kind of like yelling into um, the void sometimes. But uh, you never know what little tweet, what little retweet, what share, what episode, what article. You know, so many people writing so many great articles, uh, books that are coming out. Uh, all of these things help, and uh, huge thanks to everybody in the space that uh, is trying their best to. Um, to support this and to, to try and help other people come to uh, the realization that many of us already have. So big thanks to Danny. Go check him out. Um, as always, um, I'll sign out with uh, with making sure you guys head over to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten if you're in the UK or check out swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten. Go start stacking some sats. If you're not in the UK or the US, Go find at Friar Hass, H-A-S-S, on Twitter because he has a full list and he's got some links for you guys. They are all Bitcoin only and they are a great way to start stacking your sets in a um, DCA fashion, dollar cost average. So small, regular buys. Get ready for the bull run. Let's go. Thanks as always for listening, guys. I'll see you on the next show. Thanks as always to at Hodler, the now. 
for the music we are probably listening to in the background. Thank you, Adam, for putting this all together. And uh, thanks, Obi, over at CoinFloor. Let's, um, let's go to the moon, guys. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, I'll see you on the next show. Bye.